And it is super good to see you on this Labor Day weekend. How many have big plans tomorrow? How many have no plans for tomorrow? Okay, we're resting from our labors. I'm, I'm like you. I don't have, I have to figure, I'll figure out something. But if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. If you've been with us really through most of the summer, we've been doing a series called Faith Endures and Faith Receives, Enduring and Receiving. And we've looked at Hebrews chapter 11, kind of verse by verse, and seen, trying to find the balance between these two. How many know when life is difficult, if there's some hardships in life, we need to be able to endure. If we're waiting for a promise, we don't give up on God. But how many know it's great to receive from the Lord? <laughs> sure it is. And we've learned, we've learned about that. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, it's impossible to please God without faith. Now think about that. Impossible. In other words, faith is the doorway to experience God. Whether you're just an ordinary guy like me or whether you're a microbiologist, how many know at some level we all still have to say, I choose to believe. Listen, the Christian faith uh, is, a, is, a, is a faith that is rooted in history. Archaeology affirms the, the integrity of the Bible. Uh, billions of people, lives have been impacted through Christ. So to have faith in God doesn't mean that you're taking a leap in the dark. I mean, a, a rational person, when they think about what happened to the body of Christ, when Christ was, after he was crucified and then he was put in the, gra in, in the tomb, what happened to his body? I mean, avowed atheists uh, have, have, have set out to prove Christianity was a falsehood. And when they began to study the resurrection, they came to the conclusion that he literally rose from the grave. Well, how many know if he rose from the grave, he's done something no one else has ever done. There's been people resuscitated that have died, but they died again. How many know Jesus died and came back to life and he's alive today? So... But there is still an element of faith in believing that. It goes on to say anyone who wants to come to God must believe that he exists or believe that he's real and that he rewards those that truly want to find him. Now, faith by definition, of course, is simply to believe that God is real and his word, the Bible, is true. But faith has an active element to it. Faith is not a passive belief system. It's not just Christian doctrine in our minds. Faith works itself out in obedience. We, when we believe, we act. So it's an active process. As I am a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't just believe things about him. I, I follow him. So that's kind of been what we've been talking about. And we've really emphasized the receiving part of faith. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, uh, I mean, you see some men and women, some great things happen to them. Uh, last week, we learned about Rahab and Gideon. We learned about Abraham and Noah and Moses and all these people had a promise from God. They chose to obey God and then at the timing of God, what God promised came to pass. So we, we live our life that way. The Bible teaches us in the book of Acts that in Christ, we live and move and have our being, which simply means everything we are, everything we have, everything we can do is because of the goodness of our God. And faith helps us believe and receive that. Well, today we want to spend a little more time on the flip side. You will rarely hear in American pulpits talked about what I'm going to talk about today, because I'm going to talk about the aspect of faith that helps us endure when we have to suffer for Christ 
if we're called upon to sacrifice, or there's even persecution in our life. It's at these times when life is, is it, it, it's like the world is coming against our Christian faith. Things are causing us, uh, telling us, begging us not to believe that we want to stand grounded in Christ and our faith endures no matter what assault it might receive. So this is part 10 of the series. Let's, let's kind of begin first with the good part. I call this the rah-rah part. Um, football starts Friday night, you know, and cheerleaders are doing cheers, and everybody's excited, and everybody's at happy. How I many you know Abraham? I mean, he could look back one day, his baby was born, and you say, praise the Lord, and Moses goes through the Red Sea, praise the Lord. So let, let's read that first to kind of find the balance, and then I'm going to get into the heart of the message. Um, Hebrews eleven thirty three. it was by faith, and then he lists some things that happened. These people overthrew kingdoms. Think of Joshua going into the promised land, defeating all their enemies. Uh, they ruled with justice. Think of King Solomon. And they received what God had promised them. It's kind of like, you know, hey, yay, yay, God. Uh, they shut the mouths of lions. Think of the historical account of a real man named Daniel that went down in a lion's den, came up the next day praising the Lord. He went down on a rope of faith. Uh, they quenched the flames of fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know their, their historical account. They were thrown into a fiery furnace, but God supernaturally preserved them. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. Think of the journey of David between his calling to be king and actually pronounced king. Uh, their weakness was turned to strength. Think of a man named Samson. They became strong in battle, put whole armies to flight. Think of a man named Gideon with 300 men. He defeated uh, tens or even hundreds of thousands of people by the miraculous hand of God. And here's a really cool one. Women received their loved ones back again from death by faith. You remember the account of Elisha and the Shunammite woman. The Shunammite woman and uh, her husband, Elisha, would come through town and they provided a room for him, a place where he could stay. And then one day he said, I want to do something nice for them. So his servant said, they don't have any children. So Elisha prays and God honors his faith and she has a baby. Now listen to what happened next. How many know a woman that wants a child without a child is not a happy person? And when she gets that baby, it's the most precious thing in her life. Well, this child has gotten older, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, has some kind of seizure, stroke, something happened, but the kid just dies. He says, my head is hurting. And she didn't just go to the graveyard to pick out a burial site. She picks him up, carries him by faith, puts him in Elisha's bed, goes and finds Elisha, come on now, and says, come back and pray for my son that you promised me. And he goes in there and three times and prays for this little boy. This boy sneezes and comes back to life. You say... Do you believe that? I do, friend. How can I not believe the Bible when I believe things about Julius Caesar and Plato and Aristotle? Come on now. It, 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 this is all by faith. All these people had faith in God. It was aligned with his will, and they were obedient. They endured some difficulty, but in the timing of God, it happened. Now I want to flip the side of faith uh, and see that sometimes there's a different benefit of faith. Sometimes we need the enduring faith that will make us stand strong in adversity when our faith is attacked. Now, faith in God enables us to endure 
when we suffer, sacrifice, or are persecuted for our faith in Jesus. We have experienced very little of this as American Christians. I'll talk about Christians around the world, but, but I might have some people, you know, mock me on Facebook and tell me how stupid and ignorant I am for believing what I believe, and even throw the F word at me. And, you know, you may get a little bit of that. But other than that, there's not much persecution in America. I mean, there is now, listen, an attempt governmentally, there has been an assault against religious freedom, uh, particularly since the 60s and 70s. Uh, Supreme Court cases have come, prayer out of school and all that. But as far as individual persecution of Christian faith, we've not known much. But I want to tell you, friends, it may happen in the future. One day, your faith in Christ could cost your job. One day, it could cost your social media platform. One day it could cost you a a friendship. I mean, one day there could be a price to pay. So I want to have a more serious message today because I want you and I to be standing strong if adversity comes. If the hurricane winds of persecution come my way, come on, it might break off a limb or two, but I want to still be standing strong and believing in Jesus because earth is not my home. Come on, I'm going to heaven one day. I'm going to live eternity with God, and I don't want to go up there like a coward or someone who ran away. I want to go to heaven having made my stand for Christ. So let's get into this today. Verse uh, 35, again now, we've just read in Hebrews about all these great things that happen. And now it's like he shifts gears. But other people were tortured. They refused to turn from God in order to be set free. In other words, you deny your faith, you come back to Islam, whatever the case may be, and and, and we won't torture you or kill you. But no, they didn't do that. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Now, most, I got to be honest with you, in my life, most of my thoughts are about this life. Last couple of days, I've been thinking about dove hunting. <laughs> got a limit on Friday afternoon, got two yesterday. That was a lot of fun. I've been thinking about my wife coming home. She's on a ministry trip with her dad. I mean, these are all things, not bad things. Uh, these are not bad things in life, but I don't think about persecution. Uh, There's Christians right now that are living in the woods because they were driven from their home yesterday. Home yesterday because they wouldn't renounce their faith in Christ. But you see, when they got to that place, it's like they were looking beyond the things of this life. Beyond work, beyond remodeling the house, beyond dove hunting, beyond whatever it may be. They were looking to a real place called heaven. Come on now. They were looking to the promise of Jesus Christ that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'm coming back for you. So when this suffering comes, it makes us lift our eyes above the every or everyday ordinary things of life and look towards eternity more. Look at verse 36. I mean, it's pretty tough here. Some people were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. They were chained in prison. Uh, some died by stoning. I, I can't imagine that. We'll talk about Stephen later. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goat, destitute and oppressed. I would much rather have the scriptures that the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and added no sorrow to it than to go through a season of life destitute and oppressed and mistreated. But the coolest thing, it says next, they were too good for this world. 
Because you see, there is this world and there is the world to come. And sometimes we have to really let go of this world in our choice for Christ. Uh, they hid in caves and holes in the ground. I don't know about you, but I sleep in a soft bed. It's got one of those little toppers on top, and you just kind of wiggle in there and turn the air conditioner on in the summer and, the, and, and, and put the big blanket on in the heater. Here's some believers that lived in a cave and a hole in the ground. So I, I'm going to challenge you a little bit today to see the need to put down deep spiritual roots so that if it ever comes to choosing between Jesus and the world, you'll choose Jesus even if it's a cost to pay. That's where we're headed. Because sometimes we do have to sacrifice. We suffer. We face persecution and die simply because we're a Christian. Now, that's hard to reconcile. Probably the most, one of the most popular phrases in the last 20 years in Christian circles, it says, God is good. And all the time, well, how in the world can God, you still think God is good when you're living in a hole in the ground? Now, that's a true statement in its most basic form, but we often think of goodness as pleasurable living and a life void of sacrifice and suffering. But how many know it's the good God that died on the cross to save us from our sins? It's the good God that said, I'm going to be with you. <laughs> Jesus said, I I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be with you even to the end of the age. So we'll see how Jesus through the Holy Spirit is with us in these suffering times. But we've got to ask ourselves the question, why? Why? Do Christians sometimes suffer? Jesus told us this, John 15, verse 18. He said, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. Now, the world is not the terra firma. It's not the earth. It's not Mother Earth hating Christians. It's the world system. It is, we call it secularism. We call it uh, humanism. Uh, it, is a, it is a godless system. It is, it, is, it is a system that's anti-Christ. It's the system that's been at work when we kicked prayer out of the schools in the 60s and we took Bible reading out of public places. Aren't you glad today religious freedom is headed in the other direction? I mean, we, I mean we've had some changes in America. But Jesus said the world will hate you. And that's not because, you know, uh, you know, the preacher may preach in the pulpit, but you simply live the life. Their conversation is about porn or whatever, and you walk away. And they feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, so they hate you. I mean, when you stand for Christ, when you stand for righteousness... When your company's around a table and there's big pressure going on, your company could go out of business. And, and, and the consensus is, let's do something that's illegal and unethical. Let's tell a lie because the other person can afford it and they don't have the money to go through the legal system. So we need this fifty dollars or $100,000. And you stand up and say, you know what? That's not right. It's wrong. I can't go along with it. So they would hate you. They may not realize they're hating you because of your Christian values and beliefs, but that's what it boils down to. When you stand for life, there's still a huge argument uh, going on. It'll be the, probably the biggest political hot potato next election cycle is abortion. Supreme Court gave more protection to children, but now there is this spirit that just is rising up 
to be able to take the life of an innocent child. Well, the Bible tells us that life begins in the womb, that God is the author of life. John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, I knew you before you were born. I formed you. I called you. So the Christian belief when it comes to when life begins is at conception. And if you stand for that belief, you can be attacked. You don't hear much about crisis pregnancy centers being attacked in America, but it's a huge deal. Why? The world hates us. Jesus said, uh, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer a part of the world. Well, why is it, let me be careful here, but why is it that there are some churches that have drifted away from biblical authority and they're applauded and they're accepted by the secular Antichrist world. They no longer hold biblical standards. But if you hold biblical standards, you're not a part of the world. Um, and now, here's the question that you and I have to just let settle in your heart. Who's behind this stuff? The suffering, the persecution, even the death of Christians. Well, I want to tell you, friends, it's the devil himself. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. He'll use the influence of demons, come on now, and he will influence people to do ungodly things. That's what's happening. That's where the persecution comes from. The Bible teaches us that there are two kingdoms in the world, the kingdom of light, which is God, and the kingdom of darkness, which is Satan, and it's demonic, and it's been in a clash ever since the Garden of Eden, and sometimes we get caught up in the middle. Now, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus warned us about persecution and suffering in the last days before he returns. Now, Matthew chapter 24 um, there's a little difference in it. The, the term is eschatology, your view of the end time events, uh, the, the timing of what happens when, when does the rapture happen and when is the tribulation and when is the mark of the beast and all that. And I can tell you what I believe. I'm not sure. I just believe it's all going to happen and the tribulation doesn't get any worse then if you're living in Pakistan and they just burned your house down, come on now, and you're living out in the woods and you don't have anything to eat, how can the tribulation be any worse than that? So anyway, timing aside, Matthew 24, Jesus said, you disciples will be, say it with me, arrested, persecuted, and killed. Well, that is not worth a cheer or a high five on a Friday night football game. I mean, that, that's, that's sobering. Um, uh, you'll be hated all over the world. Why? Because you are my followers. And I think one day, I, 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 and I'm going to get into this more, maybe in my next series, but it is a difference between believing in Jesus and following him. True believers follow Jesus, even if there's a price, but many believers don't follow, I suggest it's because they truly not believed. So there's not a difference. Jesus actually rarely used the word believe. Now, John 3, 16, believe and you'll be saved, have eternal life. Most of the time, Jesus looked at people and said, follow me. So believe and following were, were joined together. Uh, but I, I see something here that's very troubling in verse 10. Many, everybody say many. Many will turn away from me. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one of those believers that believe in Christ until it gets hard, and then I turn my back on Jesus. 
And we're going to talk about, talk about how God will help us through his Holy Spirit if we face this. But look at verse 13. He who endures to the end will be saved. I don't know about you, but I want to go down believing. I pray we all live long, happy, prosperous lives, see our kids and grandkids, spiritual revival comes to America, and there's a turnaround. I, I, that's what my hope. But if it doesn't, I want to be standing strong, come on now, when, there, when, when, when this craziness begins to rear up its ugly head. Um, let, let me say this. If you ever do suffer as a Christian, if you are ever persecuted, remember this. It's only for a little while. Eternity is forever. And if I have to suffer for something for a little, for, if I'm suffering for Christ, I'm going to look not only to the cross, but I'm looking forward to my eternal home. Earth is not my home. Heaven is my home. Come on now. Life on this earth is not guaranteed. The Bible says we are strangers passing, passing through. We're called pilgrims. See, but we don't live as a pilgrim. We live as settlers too often. Tell your neighbor, say, I wish he'd quit meddling, need to move on. Let's talk about Christian uh, persecution today. Now, here's some facts. They're from a Christian ministry called Open Doors who monitors what's going on in the persecuted church. He said every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Every day. Now, I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but here's what I'm planning. I'm planning on sleeping in in the morning. I'm planning on getting up, feeding the dog, and feeding the cats, and tidying up around the house because my wife is coming home. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what I may do. may do something at my desk, then I want to go dove hunting tomorrow afternoon. And that's what I'm planning. And I even cooked two pieces of salmon last night so I wouldn't have to cook another one tomorrow. <laughs> well, if that unfolds that way tomorrow, 13 believers died the whole time I was doing that. Somebody came into their house, and there's a father that's not in that home anymore because a knife was placed in his chest. A child was abducted from the home, and there's people that are crying out to God. Now, I don't, I'm trying, not trying to make us feel bad, but I'm trying to say we, friends, are in a world where uh, Open Doors says 309 million Christians live in countries that where there is extreme Christian persecution. Last year, it was 260 million. So there has been almost a 40, 50 million increase of persecution against Christian, and it comes largely from the nation of Islam or from the Muslim religion. Now, under George Bush, remember, he didn't want to have a holy war, so he, he, he told us that, 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 that Muslims are a peaceful group of people. Well, there are peaceful Muslims. I applaud them. We welcome them in our church. We welcome them in our city. If you want to be a peaceful American, come alongside us. But I'm telling you, friends, most of the persecution against Christians comes from the, if you want to call it, the radical Muslim side. That's just the way it is. Jihad is a part of their life. In, uh, a part of their life. But every day, 13 are killed. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or thrown in prison simply because they believe in Jesus. Every day, five Christians are abducted. Most of this, I would imagine, are women and young children. And they're sold into the sex, trade, sex slave trade industry. 
This is happening every day. And if you want to bring it closer to home, I got uh, I received communication this week, and I want to be vague because I don't want this person to be found out about. But uh, it was from a, a Pakistan Christian leader, and he, he, he communicates with me and said, we're in great danger at this time. Please help if you can. 22 churches, this is last week, 22 churches have been burned. Over 300 houses of Christians were looted and burned. We're thankful to you for your love, prayers, and support. I write back, what kind of help do you need? And listen to this. First thing, he did not ask me to plead with Washington. Now, I think we do need people in Washington, come on now, standing for religious freedom around the world. Uh, but that's not, I, he said, first thing you can do is your prayers. So could everyone in this room just join me and pray particularly right now for the Pakistani believers and believers across the Muslim world and around the world? Could you just add a minute of that in your prayers every day? That was his first request. And then he said, give financially if you'd like. They lost everything. We can purchase some household items, even to purchase Bibles, because Bibles were burnt in many of the churches. So this week, we didn't just hear that. We acted. We sent $5,000 this week. We emptied our Bible fund, $2,500 for Bibles and $2,500 for humanitarian help for Christians that are suffering. Now, that's a praise the Lord right there. Come on. I mean... We, these are our brothers and sisters that are in need around the world. It's happening. Now, everyone in this room, whether you're young or old, you should be asking the question now, how do I develop the kind of faith to help me endure this suffering? How do I develop strong faith so, so I don't give up if I have to sacrifice or I'm persecuted? So I, because, again, I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before Jesus having denied him. And let's not, for, for just a second, let's not think about that. Would you go to heaven or hell if you denied him and, and all that? I don't want to stand before Jesus with my head down. I want to stand before Jesus with strong faith. I gotta, I've had dogs throughout my life, and sometimes there's not a tree to chain them to, and if they won't behave, you've got to kind of chain them up. And you can buy this thing. It's about this long, and it screws in the ground. It's like a giant corkscrew. And once you get that thing screwed in the ground, you hook the chain to it, and the dog can't pull it out. Well, I want my Christian faith to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. I want to be screwed in the ground so much that, 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 that there's nothing in my life more important than following and living for Jesus Christ, no matter who would stand against me. Give the Lord a big, a big hand today. Now, let's take the last, last of our time. How do we develop this kind of faith? I want to take you to the parable of the sower given by Jesus in Mark chapter 4. You remember Jesus likened a farmer, which is God, planting seed. or Actually, the farmer planting seed is seed that's sown by us with God. We are God's in partnership, sowing seed, which is the word of God. And the soil represents the human heart. Now, he gives four examples, but I'm just going to look at two. The farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to others. That's what you and I do. But when you tell someone about Christ, you post something on social media, you, you, know, you, you witness to someone, notice what it says, the seed that fell on the footpath. 
In other words, you're scattering seed. If you've ever put out seed or fertilizer in your yard, you know some of it gets on the sidewalk. Well, that seed that falls on the sidewalk is not going to grow. What's going to happen are birds are going to come and eat that seed. Um, uh, and, and it's only to have that seed, Satan comes and takes it away. And in three of these examples, you'll see Satan is buying it. So Satan comes to try to steal the word away. Now, verse 16 is what I want to really focus on. The seed on rocky soil represents those who hear the message of Jesus, receive it with joy. They raise their hand. I give you a chance to become a, a Christian, make a decision for Christ after church. You raise your hand, people will clap for you. They receive the word of God with joy. But notice what it says. Since they don't have you didn't say that very loud. This is the problem. Many people will even come and raise their hand and pray and shake the preacher's hand, but won't even have faith to follow him in the waters of baptism and won't grow spiritually. Notice what it says. They don't have deep roots. They don't last long. They fall away. They fall away as soon as problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. And I want to tell you, that is why you see so many people respond to Christ in a crisis and walk away from him in trouble because their roots have never gone deep. They, they, they want a Savior in their heart, but they don't want Jesus to be the Lord. Now, I know I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little close here. I've lived this. When I got saved, there's a heart right here. I'm a heart. There's a chair, and you're born sitting on it. And it, the Bible says we're conceived in sin. We're born away from God. We're selfish. Well, when we come to Christ to receive him, we want him to sit on that throne. But there's an argument about who's going to sit on the throne. Am I going to be the Lord of my life or is Jesus going to be the Lord of my life? Now, in Scripture, Jesus didn't separate you can know me as Savior or Lord. He said Savior and Lord. But this idea is missing because subconsciously we just want a God to make our life better. But I don't know about you, friend. I don't want to fall away. So how in the world do I develop deep roots? This is a very simple answer, and then I'm going to give you five specific illustrations. We develop these deep roots by deliberately pursuing a path of spiritual growth and maturity and we deliberately seek to get closer to Jesus. That song that we sang before I preached, Lord, I want to be closer. That, remember that prayer you prayed? Well, that involves deliberate steps. It's not just a feeling, an emotion on Sunday morning. It's things that I can do. And now let me talk about a couple of them. The first has to do with attitude. Everybody say attitude. attitude. What I mean by this is make the pursuit of God and commitment to His will the primary pursuit of our life. Now, I, again, I've been talking about dove hunting this morning. It happens to be dove season. I love doing that. I love gardening. I love things. I love my house. But I don't want to love anything more than Jesus. I want Jesus to be first in my life, and I want John to be second. It is the greatest warfare you'll ever have who's in charge. But I'll tell you how we know this is true. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus taught us how to pray, what did he say? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And the first petition is, 
Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And you know what the next pe uh, petition is? Let me get a limit of doves tomorrow. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. And it is that simple. Can I choose to do my best to try to live a life where God's will is first and mine is second? It's an attitude. It's an outlook to Christian life. But it is revolutionary. Because once you do that, listen, <laughs> I think life is better. When you've given up your life to follow Christ. That's my experience. That God's not trying to make, make life you know, tough on me. He's trying to make life better for me. You missed a good time to say me and them. But the first one is attitude. The second one, very practical. Seek to know God. Seek to know his word, the Bible. And seek to know his voice. By every day committing to spend some time in prayer and Bible reading. God will speak to you through the pages of this book. He'll show you how to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. He'll show you the difference between right and wrong. And if in your prayer time, whether you walk or, or, or maybe you're just in your car and you just want to have some quiet time with God, turn off the radio. And, 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 and you're, not, you're not listening for a voice to boom, but you just want to sense yourself drawing near to God. And pouring your heart out to God and talking to God. This is huge, friend, for roots. Because it's, it's something we do every day. Now, here's another one that's a big one. Because, uh, let me know when the wind blows, depending on how hard it blows, is depending on how many limbs are coming out of the tree or if the whole tree is going to fall. Sometimes we're, we may not be strong enough to handle the storm of persecution. Here's my third one. We need strong relationships with committed believers. And we need to be vulnerable about our struggles. This is why it's so important to be in a life group. Right now, this is basically a, mo a monologue. I'm speaking and you're listening. But that's why I try to get you to interact, to repeat, to say it. I'm trying to get you to interact. But, but church on Sunday is not the place for you to talk about the struggle that you're having in your marriage, the struggle you're having at work, the struggle that you're having believing if there even is a God. We need people to surround us in our life to help us be strong. Hebrews 10 says, don't neglect the meeting together. Uh, church meetings, as some people do, but encourage one another as the day of his return, the second coming, draws near. What does that mean? I need Christians to help me. Now, our church is, is doing pretty good right now. But there were times when, I'm going to tell you what, it was hard. I'd look in the mirror and I'd say, do you really want to be here? <laughs> I was over my head. I did not know what to do. I, 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 I'd had my feelings hurt. I mean, you just go down the list and I was just beat up. Have you ever been beat up in a fight and you just had a hard time? Maybe nobody was with you. Now, I see some ladies that are smiling over there. I, I guess, do, do ladies fight? Do they fight dirty or clean? They lose, use claws? Okay, well, anyway, you're in a fight and nobody's with you. And you're all beat up, and you wake up, and your eyes half closed, and you, 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 you somehow make it to the car, and you get home, and, and you, you just, you don't have anybody to help you. Well, in life, you need somebody to help you. 
When I went through those difficult times pastoring, I would call friends and I'd cry on their shoulder. And sometimes they'd cry on my shoulder and it wouldn't be them just telling me what to do. They would listen to me. And they would tell me things like, Jesus called you there. Jesus is going to help you. He will provide for you. Don't quit. The Lord began the good work in you. He'll bring it to completion. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your steps. Fear not because God is with you. Jesus said he'd never leave you. He'd never forsake you. But he'd always be with you even to the end of the world. You say, what have you been talking about, man? I've just been talking about the Bible. And when people surround us like that, so that's a huge one in terms of the root thing. Now, this fourth one, it's a little bit abstract, uh, but I'm going to say it the way the Bible says it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, let's remember in the series when we started, you remember the end of chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, was about persecution that the Hebrews were experiencing. Chapter 11 was about this great encouragement to keep going and believe in God, and God comes through. Chapter 12 uh, begins with a call to endurance. So it's like a faith sandwich that has receiving on the middle, and it has endurance on both pieces of bread. Look at chapter 12, the second piece of bread. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. And I don't think that means a little statue that you put on your car. My grandma had one of those, and that was okay. But, but I don't think that's what it's talking about here. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So what, what does it mean to keep your eyes off Jesus? Well, first of all, I think it's easy to understand to take your eyes off Jesus. I mean, we can take our eyes off Jesus when it comes to stealing money, having sex outside the boundaries. Come on now. Tipping a little too much, telling a lie. I mean, there's a lot of ways you take your eyes off Jesus. But to keep your eye on Jesus means that you want to do your best to make sure that he's number one in your life. That I simply want to do my best to follow him And when I fall down, listen, we all do. Every one of us has the struggle between the cross and the world and the flesh. And the world pulls against us. The flesh wants to have it. Sometimes we give in. But when we give in, we turn right back around and say, Lord, I've done wrong. I ask you to forgive me and strengthen me because I'm weak. But you said when I was weak, then I would be strong. So forgive me for what I've done wrong. Receive his forgiveness, but keep going the other way. Come on, give the Lord a a good hand there. Now, let me, this last one is, I think, huge because I got to be honest, I, 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 I've never been faced with this level of persecution. But those that have, have found a uniqueness with the Holy Spirit that is not normal everyday life. Here's what Jesus said in Mark 13 Jesus said, Whenever you're arrested, and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what you're going to say. Now, I would think it'd be pretty important to do some thinking and planning, go back to speech 101 and have point one, point two, point three, and then your motivation, why are you going to plead with the judge? But Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say. Jesus said, just say what is given you at that time. It is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. 
So all you want to do is do your best to stay close to God, to keep your confession in God's word, your prayers strong, and trust him to put those words in your mouth. Come on now. Because you could lead that judge to Jesus. You could lead that persecutor to Jesus. You could lead that agnostic or that atheist to Jesus, friend. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say. Here's another one. Acts chapter 7. You know the story here. Stephen the deacon He's preached this, this tremendous sermon of the history of the Jewish people. And then the very ones that crucified Christ are there uh, listening to him. And the end of Stephen's message, he gets pointed in their face. Acts chapter 7, verse 44. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation against them. But Stephen, what does it say? Full of the Holy Spirit. Now we're talking about book of Acts, people being baptized in the Spirit. That phrase is used over and over again. Ephesians 5 tells us to be continually filled with the Spirit, which implies to me that you can go deeper with the Holy Spirit. You can begin to hear His voice. You can begin to know His guidance. You can sense what He's saying, what He's calling you to do. But we've got to yield control of our lives to Him. See, it goes back to attitude. This man's full of the Holy Spirit. He's not full of fear. He's not full of fear. He's full of the Spirit. And notice what it says. He gazed steadily into heaven. Now, you got rocks. You got guys picking up rocks the size of oranges, fixing to throw at you and kill you. And he is looking to his heavenly home. He looks up and he sees the glory of God. It's like the heavens unzip and he sees what's behind him. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Well, they got They just flipped out and they, they kill him right on the spot. They kill him dead. Uh, and notice what he said. He said, Lord Jesus... Receive my spirit. He didn't wave his middle finger at him. He, said, he didn't say, I hope you all burn in hell. He didn't beg him to stop. He said, Jesus, I'm coming home. How could he do that? He was full of the spirit. And I'm telling you, friends, let us believe that if we ever get in that spot in life where our faith is tested to that degree, that we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And God will take something that's horrible on earth that's just a moment as we proceed, come on now, to go into heaven for all eternity. And you know how Stephen went to heaven? He said, Father, don't lay this sin against them. And a man named Saul of Tarsus is standing there who in the very next chapter is going to become Paul the Apostle who got saved, I believe, because of the witness of Stephen. Saul saw that this man doesn't have religion. This man has the Christ that I've been trying to come against and stop. And it changed his life. And when he's knocked off his horse, the first thing Saul says was, Who are you, Lord? And in a few chapters, few chapters later, he's saved. He is filled with the Spirit. He is baptized in water. And he is preaching the very Christ that he came to, to destroy. And I believe it was because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit as Stephen transitioned from this life to the next one for all. All eternity. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good shout today. Let's wrap it up here. Uh, the last two verses of Hebrews 11 say this. All these people in the whole chapter earned a good reputation with God because of their what? Their faith. Some received, some endured. Some had it immediately, some had to wait a while. But God was pleased with them. But interesting phrase here. None of them received all God had promised. 
What, what, what do you mean, preacher? Abraham received a child, but there was something related to heaven and eternity that's awaiting. God had something. Listen to verse 40. God had something better in mind for us, the Hebrews, and us, so they wouldn't reach perfection without us. What is perfection? Perfection is heaven, friend. Perfection is eternal life. And since Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden, he was a believer when he left, by the way. You can be assured of that. But since Adam, until the end of the book of Revelation, people have pleased God through their faith. And we are all waiting for our heavenly reward. Come on. When one day we're standing before him as King of kings and Lord of lords. When one day he's going to separate the sheep from the goats and say, Come, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. We're waiting for that day, and we wait by faith. Now, I want to close with this, with this Old Testament account because there's a tension between enduring and receiving. Every one of us wants to receive, and we need to have faith to receive, but we also need to endure. Let me, let me tell you, close with this historical account uh, about three guys. Their name is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's in the book of Daniel. They're Jewish slaves because they've been, de- they've been taken from their homeland and deported to Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan to the nth degree. He's an idol worshiper. So he builds this giant statue and says this, when we start playing music, everybody bows down to the statue, and if you don't, you're going to be killed. So that's the context. There, it would have been easy. Think how easy it would have been for them to take a knee and then just think, well, I'll go back and ask God to forgive me. But they didn't. Let me read a couple verses. Verse 15. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made. Now remember, that's the first of Moses' Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make an idol or form anything. And that's, so, so you've got the commandment of God and the word of a man. But if you refuse, you're going to be thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, okay, we'll bow, we'll bow, we'll bow. They said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, (laughs) the God we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us from your power, (laughs) majesty. Isn't that faith to receive? But notice this three-letter word, but. It always means something's coming. But even if he doesn't deliver us, We want to make it clear to you, we're never going to serve your gods or worship the gold image you've set up. So what did they have? They had faith to believe that God would do a miracle. But they also had enduring faith to believe that if God didn't do the miracle, if God didn't answer the prayer that they wanted, they're still believing in God because they're a step away from heaven and they're going to be there forever and ever and ever. Now, of course... You know the outcome of that. They jumped on in that fiery furnace and Jesus appeared. It was a Christophany, the fourth man in the burning furnace. And, of course, they were saved. They come out and then Nebuchadnezzar gets saved. I mean, he believes in the one true God. But the point I want to focus on is as I close this series, I want to have faith that receives miracles from God. But I want to have faith that endures difficulty, adversity, persecution, suffering, and even death. I want to be grounded in Christ. Come on, give the Lord a big hand.